0: Our scripture reading this evening is Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. Genesis 22, 1 to 14, as we read what I could call, what we would call a precursor to the cross. A precursor to Christ's sacrifice. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, as we turn in your word to this well-known account, this well-known story, we pray that in it we would find and see the riches, what is portrayed here, of your love. Your love that's given through a test, that's given through a sacrifice. And we pray, Lord, that we would see in it our answer, our answer to life itself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. and Abraham, by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord Will Provide. At the heart of this text, at the heart of the cross, lies that message the Lord will provide. It's clear in this text, Abraham says it, the angel carries it out, and the place is actually named after it, that the Lord will provide. Whatever else we might think of Abraham, whatever else we might try to put into it and think, what was he feeling? What were his emotions at this time? We at least have to say what carried him through this traumatic event was that truth. The Lord will provide. What kind of an answer is that? What kind of an answer is that to Isaac? The Lord will provide. What kind of an answer is that to us? What's in your heart today? What's in our heart today? Will the Lord provide? Will the Lord answer? Will the Lord prove Faithful, You see, in this text, we see a test, a test that would question that, that would question the Lord's provision, that would question how in the, in the world can the Lord provide. Here we see a story of the Lord's provision, but it hangs in the balance, even as the Lord commands what we think can't be right. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus, or I should say God, is, is commanding, that Abraham, take the child of the covenant, the one that Genesis up to this point has been very clear, will be the only seed, the only line from which will descend the people of God. Take that one, that only one. The text even highlights this. This is, this is your son Isaac, your only son Isaac. Though, though we know Abraham had Ishmael, but no, this is, this is the only son. This is your beloved son So the provision of the Lord hangs in the balance. Take this child of promise, kill him. Many of us would take that statement if it was given to us today as definitive proof that God can't be trusted. Many of us would come to that conclusion for a command far less grave, far less deep. Will the Lord provide? And we'll see that this this text shows he certainly will We'll see it in four points. The voice of God testing, the voice of Isaac inquiring, the voice of Abraham trusting, the voice of the angel providing. First, the voice of God testing. Notice how the chapter begins. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now we as readers know this. The text says it. God tested Abraham. Abraham doesn't know this. We're given that foresight. We have the privilege to look in and see, okay, this is a test from God, but why is that significant? Why does that matter? Well, it helps us answer a dilemma of this text. How could the Lord command this? Well, there's more to answering it, but a significant portion of it is that the Lord was testing Abraham. This was never going to be carried out. Isaac wasn't going to be slain. It was a test. It was a test that Abraham was called to endure. It was a test that Abraham would pass, clinging to that hope, that truth, the Lord will provide. You see, we see in this text that God tests. And God tests us to show us that he provides. That's a hard truth. God tests us to show us that he provides How else would we learn? How else would we know that he will provide unless he places us in situations where we're called to trust and and it doesn't make any sense? There doesn't seem to be an outcome. The gravity of this text is deeper than just Abraham and Isaac. To whom was this text written? Moses wrote the Pentateuch to the people of Israel before entering the Promised Land. The audience, or the original audience of this, was Israel. And what did they hear when they saw this text? It wasn't just a test of Abraham and Isaac and their individual family. This was the future of their nation. This was, as they read back, saw a threat to the very people of God that they were then. And so they're seeing here a test to the line of God itself, a line to the covenant people, and the test comes from God. And so they, as they are They're going through the Exodus, this original congregation, this original audience. What would they have seen in this test And, and in this text itself? They would have seen, we must trust. We must trust that the Lord will provide. Look what happened even then. What do you do when the threat to the promises of God seems to come from the testing of God himself? This story gives us the answer. Always, always trust in the provision of God. God tests, he doesn't forsake. God tests, he gives no reason to doubt. You see, the voice of God testing is a mean by which he does provide. And so we see the voice of God testing. We see what's going on here from God's angle, if you put it that way. Our second point is we see the voice of Isaac inquiring. And this point is very brief. It's a very brief point. We don't have much to say about it. The text isn't that specific here. We rather read in verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's inquiring. You see, he sees that they have all the means for the sacrifice except the sacrifice itself. Where's the sacrifice, he says. Just how old was Isaac at this point? Many scholars believe that Isaac was in his teenage years at this point. The text doesn't say how old he was, but we we know he's certainly old enough, as verse 6 says, to carry wood, and to carry the, the, the wood for the sacrifice, and to carry it at least some distance and up a mountain. This would indicate that he's strong enough, old enough to carry this burden. We also know that Abraham is very old, Genesis 21.5 tells us Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, and that this is some time after that. His father is ancient, and why does this matter? Because quite likely, Isaac was old enough and strong enough to overpower his ancient father. He was quite likely able to defend himself, but the text doesn't say that. The text gives no mention of what actually occurs on that hill, and we might ask ourselves, but wait a second. How does he end up bound on top of the wood of the altar? The only only thing we really can conclude is that this child of promise was submissive. And though the text doesn't explicitly state it, he apparently trusts enough not to fight against it, not to fight against what his father is saying. But in the voice of Isaac inquiring, we see that question which leads to the voice of Abraham trusting. And this is our third point. The the voice of Abraham trusting. All of Abraham's actions in response to the test of God show profound trust. Verse 8 gives us the faith of Abraham that he has a true response there. His true response to Isaac isn't just to pacify him. It isn't a lie. He's not lying to his son, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. Nor did he lie to his servants when he said, I and the child will come back. He truly believed they would. Why? Isaac's the child of promise. He had gone through many tests before this to assure him that he would have a line and there would be descendants and God would be faithful and it would be through Isaac. And so in his mind, for, for God to call him, to execute him, the only conclusion was that his son would come back one way or another. That his son would be safe or his son would be spared one way or another and he was willing to trust in God. He was willing to trust in the Lord's provision all the way through. Scripture, scripture confirms this in Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham was so willing to trust in the provision of God that he was willing to trust in resurrection in bringing a, a, a man who's dead back to life before he would doubt the faithfulness of God and his promises. And as that text from Hebrews shows, we are to see, figuratively speaking, that's exactly what happened. The, the son of the covenant, the submissive son of the covenant, is to be seen here, figuratively speaking, as being slain. Almost as if he was sacrificed. That's how sure this sacrifice was. And though Isaac wasn't actually killed, though Abraham didn't actually have to plunge the knife into him, Abraham's obedience was to that point. And there was, in that sense, a resurrection that did occur through the faithfulness of God. Abraham believed God would even resurrect before he would believe that God would fail to be faithful to his promise. Was Abraham foolish for believing this? Was he gullible and a sucker? I wonder what counselors or what we would have told him if we were aware of the situation. And Abraham had said before this, God just told me to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice my son. And we would have said, You're you're off your rock or you're nuts. And you're gullible to believe this. Now, we might have a greater reason to say that. We, we have later in Scripture specific commands that talk about how much God abhors human sacrifice, and he does. He abhors sacrifice of children, and, and that's not what's going on here. Remember, again, this was a test. It's a test of the faithfulness of Abraham, and it's something else as well. Something else you don't see as beautifully and fully until you get to the New Testament and see what occurs at the cross. It's a test of Abraham. It's, it's to illustrate the point and show the people the point that they can always trust the Lord, but it's also to put before the people in a clear way a story that you can't help when you read it now, but think of what comes, of the sacrifice that does come, and that's what's going on here. Was Abraham gullible and a sucker? No, no. And you never are to trust the Lord's provision and to trust the Lord's faithfulness. People might say, now do you really believe the Lord will provide? Do you really believe that on the cross, God died for you, wiped away your sins, that now you're justified before God, you will be raised with him and reign in heaven at his side, that you will be like him and glorified? Do you really believe that? Are we suckers and gullible to believe at the cross in one of the how many hundreds or thousands or millions of crucifixions that Rome did that this man actually mattered? We're not suckers or gullible to believe the Lord will always provide. For he does. He always provides. We see that he will always be with his people. In fact, what we see is, through Abraham, we see a wisdom. A wisdom that a saint will even trust in and believe the supernatural as an explanation for what's in front of them. That's what Hebrews had said. The, the only way Abraham could have functioned in obedience in this way and trusted God to provide was that there had to be something supernatural to come to trust in the supernatural as the only vindication to the Lord's plan is that what we are called to do will we will we prove fools to trust that absolutely not as Israel would have read this text they would have seen that they can and should trust the Lord as they stood as a, an assembly that rivaled the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore a multitude that descended from this This man and his son, they would have seen the Lord does indeed provide, even as they had just been freed from a promised land. And and what about us as we continue down that line? Do we as the church trust? Do we learn from this text to trust that the Lord will provide? To really trust in the care of the Lord? To know how much He cares for His people? To know how faithful He will be to them? How faithful will God be to us? How much will he swear to his own hurt and not change? Well, we see it as we move forward in the voice of the angel providing. The voice of the angel providing. Whether these words came from an angel, or if it is indeed the pre-incarnate Son of God himself as the angel of the Lord who speaks, whichever it is, this is the Lord's message. And we read... And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This place becomes a testimony to the Lord's provision. You know, Genesis 22 might seem to to be the best place to go for the Lord's cruelty. And some might say that about the cross. Shouldn't we go there to, as proof of how cruel he is? And some will say that. But it actually becomes one of the worst places to go to prove God's cruelty and instead one of the best places to go for his mercy and love because this text, even at just this point in God's word, reveals the love of God for his people in providing and sparing Isaac. Though Hebrews had said, figuratively speaking, it's like he was dead and like he died, he didn't. And Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. And on the Mount of the Lord it will be provided. What will be provided? A sacrifice? The sacrifice of a submissive covenant son? That's what will be provided? As the Bible progresses, we see the imagery of, this, of the sacrifice, of the sacrificial lamb. And we see the Lord provides a ram as a substitute, and offering here to save Isaac and Israel after him. Later, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, the Lord provided a lamb to cover the doorposts of the houses so that they wouldn't be destroyed. Still later, when Israel was in the promised land, they offered offerings at the temple, And in the fullness of time, the Lord provides his Son as a substitute, as an offering, so that his people may live. And John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus himself proclaims that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does this mean? Listen to this. This is what it means about the Lord's provision. This is what it means about his love for you. This is what it means about his faithfulness. It means we can count on the death of God before we can allow us to question God's faithfulness. It means there's a greater chance of God dying than for him to prove unfaithful to his people. There's a greater chance of God dying than for him to forsake his promises to us. Because that's exactly what happened. He constructed such a situation in which he would be the only one who could die. He placed himself in a covenant that he didn't have to, but did anyways, that he would save his people, and he bound himself to this. To a sacrifice to where the father would have to take his son, his only son, whom he loved, and take him to this place and see him slaughtered to prove faithful to his word that on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And that's what Abraham names the place. And as you trace this very location, it becomes all the more clear. We know from the first passages, from the first verses of our passage, that this happened in the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah was the same location David would sacrifice to stop the people from being destroyed when he had called a unholy census. And it brought destruction on the people. And it was at this very place that he, he offered a sacrifice to the Lord and thwarted the condemnation and destruction that was coming against the people. It was at this very place, as we read in Second Corinthians Chronicles 3.1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father, at the place that David had appointed, on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. In the very land on the mountain of the Lord where it was said it would be provided, David had had sacrificed and saved the people. On that very mountain, the temple was constructed where there would be all the sacrifices of the people of Israel to pacify the Lord, to bring atonement. All the rams and the lambs and the bulls that would point to the same thing, and it would be near that very region on that same mountain range where Jesus himself would hang on the cross. On the Mount of the Lord, it shall indeed be provided. There's a lot contained in that word, it. It will be provided. There's a lot contained in in what the provision is and what we will see. Redemption. Redemption. Trust of the Lord proves instead to be something he bears. And so we are shown that we indeed can trust the Lord's provision as Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? To illustrate this, and it it's an illustration that is more poetically gotten into, but is, is true nonetheless. Here's what I mean. What would the ram say if it could talk? Okay, that's, that's how we just dip into this. So what would that ram caught in the thicket say if he could talk? Well, we do know what the sacrifice of God said. We do know what Jesus said as he was brought to the altar. We have that in John chapter 14, where literally on the night where he was sacrificed, he spoke. He spoke to his disciples. He spoke to the church. And here is what God himself and the Son of God said to his people. "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. "'In my Father's house are many rooms.' If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. John fourteen eighteen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you and me and I in you. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. There's a, a very close connection to both Abraham and what happens on the cross. Both Both do result in a resurrection. One figurative, another actual. Both do result in a death, one of a ram, one of the Son of God himself. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. People of God at the cross, and in Jesus Christ we have everything. And in Abraham in that precursor to the cross that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before, we see it portrayed. We see it beautifully portrayed in Abraham and Isaac. But they illustrate the very same truth. God does provide. We see it far clearer at the cross, but you see the love in both passages. The Lord loves his people and proves so faithful that he will not spare his own son. He will not spare himself to provide. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise your great name. We thank you for the knowledge of this provision that you give to your people, that you are with your people that you will prove faithful. We thank you for the love that we see at the cross. We thank you for the love that we see portrayed even in Genesis. We ask, Lord, that we would respond in belief and that we would be comforted by this great truth, even as we praise your name for what you have done and what you have accomplished. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.